The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The title of our Bible study tonight is The Voice of the Church. Uh, Prayer is the Voice of the Church. Uh, This is going to be a uh, topical Bible study. We're going to be in three uh, passages or verses. Uh, The first one will be Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, And the point will be that the church, as the church, we're devoted to prayer. Uh, The second passage will be in, it comes from the the book of Acts, will be in chapter 4, verse 31. And that is that we are to be dependent upon prayer, on prayer. And then lastly, from Psalm 34, 18, that we are comforted by prayer. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we, th- we thank you for an opportunity to gather together, not only to worship as we've, we have just worshiped in song, uh, to worship you in our giving, uh, to express generosity, but also, Lord, to worship you as we now come to your word, the priority of your word, not only in this church or this, in this congregation, but also in our individual lives, the word of God. Uh, coming to us. And so, Lord, uh, I want to just take a moment here to pray for our pastor, Pastor Daniel and his family, and pray that uh, that you would give him rest, that you would uh, bless uh, their time together, uh, that he would know that his church loves him greatly and that his church loves Jesus. And so, Lord, uh, we pray for our time together, for it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Two things before we believe, uh, before we begin. And the first is this, that as a pastor here now for a number of years and being on staff, I want to just take a moment because of the subject of prayer tonight to thank you, uh, those of you who are joining us online as well as those who are here. I don't know that we would have anybody on Solomon's porch this evening, but just thank you for praying for us. Uh, we know over the last couple of years there has been obviously been some challenges that everybody's been experiencing, but you need to know that when you hear people say that we can certainly feel your, feel your prayers, uh, that is a reality here. And when I look at the mer- grace and the mercy that Jesus has showed us um, over the last couple of years, uh, I just wanted to tell you thank you for praying for us. And, and I know that there are people who don't physically attend the church here. Maybe you're another part of the, the United States or even international. I want to thank you for praying for Maranatha Chapel and for our pastoral team and our church staff. The other thing is, that recently I had an opportunity to put prayer into practice. Um, if you would have, uh, well, actually, there was two reasons I ventured into the DMV. Now, I, I went to the DMV, and I, I spent a total of seven hours uh, at, the, at the DMV. Now, it, it wasn't that bad. It was two different visits, um, but I spent seven hours, and the reason is, is because in, in January is my 67th birthday. Yeah, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, we thought he was a lot older than that, but... Um, <laughs> Um, but it was my 60s. I was born in 1956. And so I, I knew that, it, you know, I'm not going to wait to the last minute as I typically do. So I went late last year in early December and I took care of absolutely everything, did things online, followed their directions. The only, the only little st- stubbornness left in me is I didn't make an appointment, which anyways, they got back at me with seven hours. But the, um, 
And so I went and I spent a total of four hours there. Now, I came later in the day. That was the advice of somebody. You get in there later in the day. And, and you know, and I, you know, I took, took books to read and obviously had my phone. And I ended up staying an hour after they closed. And all they kept telling me is, uh, sir, we don't know what's wrong, but something's going on in Sacramento. And I kept hearing Sacramento, Sacramento, Sacramento. And then they said, but you'll, you'll receive your, your new driver's license, Mr. Ramos, with the real ID on it, which is something that I wanted if I was going to jump through all their hoops. I made sure that I wanted to have my real ID. I'm not so sure why, but somebody told me I needed, whoever this somebody is, I got to find out who they are because they keep telling me I need to do these things. And then, but my license didn't come. So my, my birthday's coming closer. It's January 31st. And so finally, I just said, you know, I'm just going to go down there. I'm going to, you know, spend another three hours, which is what I did. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there for a total of seven hours. And, 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 and the people were great. The individuals that I interacted with that were trying to help me, they did all that they could. Apparently, the issue was in Sacramento. But I learned to pray a little bit. You know, sometimes I go now to go visit somebody in the hospital and I'm standing there, you know, you have your mask on and you have your Bible and you're getting ready to play. You got your anointing oil, 30 weight, uh, mobile synthetic oil. You know, you're getting ready to pray for them and, and they're telling you, well, you know, we have, uh, you know, these issues and these surgeries and, and, you know, and they're telling me, you know, and they say, Pastor Danny, how are you? And I say, you know, you don't want them to feel alone. I go, well, I spent seven hours at DMV. Oh, Pastor Danny, sit down, sit down. You know, you know sit down. Nurse, nurse, could you get him an IV or something, you know, and show this guy a little sympathy. But the prayer, of, the pr- prayer is the voice of the church. Jesus is parting words to his disciples. His friends were to wait. They were to remain in Jerusalem in anticipation of the coming of the Spirit. Jesus himself would then ascend or return to heaven. And this is what he had been preparing them for, this moment, this time. For three years they walked with him, they ministered with him, and, and, and they didn't understand what he was saying, and yet the resurrection came, and then he spent this time with them, again, preparing them for the moment that he would leave them. Luke's account tells us that the disciples did gather in Jerusalem, and as they gathered, Acts 1 verse 14 says that they, devoting, they were devoting themselves to prayer. This is what they did in obedience to Jesus' words. They devoted themselves to prayer. I want you to think of 120 men and women, young and old, fervently calling out to God. I want you to hear voices fill the room where they gathered with praise and petition. To an outside observer, the scene would have bordered on chaos. However, for the early church, corporate prayer was as natural as breathing. In our time together, I want to consider the why, the why or the purpose of praying. You may pray alone. I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. Or you may pray with other people. You probably do both. Praying with others might be a new, even challenging thought for some of you that are listening. I want you to see something as simple as sharing a need with a friend, or asking somebody how you might be able to pray for them. 
Praying in either situation can be spontaneous or a natural part of someone's weekly rhythm. In corporate prayer, some people use few words. In corporate prayer, some people are silent, but it doesn't mean they're not praying. It doesn't mean that they're not communicating with God. While many people pray freely, it's been my experience that in prayer meetings, prayer can be a little, the terminology could be a little churchy. I believe that it's best to talk to God the way you would speak to a close friend. It's important to not get hung up on how long you pray. The, you know, like you have a, a timer going. It's, it's a conversation. I think one of the things that I enjoy the most, you know, the time to time I have a daughter in Phoenix that Wanda and I are driving is that in the six hours that it takes us to get there, we communicate. Sometimes we communicate verbally, you know, we're talking about different things that are going on in our lives. And, and other times she's, you know, Wanda's reading the newspaper while I'm driving and I'll make a comment and then maybe a couple of miles later, longer than that, she'll respond. But it, it's not forced, it's not unnatural, it just kind of flows. I believe that's the way prayer is to be as well. The other thing that I think it's important never to do is to compare yourself to somebody else when it comes to prayer. Everybody's relationship with God looks different. Absolutely everybody's relationship with God looks different. But Danny, aren't there similarities? Possibly. But never compare yourself with someone else. God doesn't. Prayer pushes back unseen enemies. And prayer glorifies God. Tim Keller said, by praying with friends, you will be able to hear and see facets of Jesus that you have not yet perceived. So then, he says in his book on prayer, in the church, prayer helps us see God more fully. In the model prayer, you probably know it is the Lord's Prayer, Jesus assumed unity. You know, he taught us to say, our Father, Give us us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If some of you are like me, we tend to be private. Disclosing what's going on in our lives or sharing it with others doesn't come easy. It requires a level of trust. But on the other side of things, prayer means stewarding what others have shared with you. Think discretion, confidentiality, providing a safe place for people to pray, knowing that what they have shared or prayed to God with you won't be disclosed to others. I think this is important because prayer disarms an enemy whose lies thrive on isolation. It was a number of years ago, actually it was a long time ago, probably in the 90s, when I was a youth pastor in the small town of Fallbrook. They call Fallbrook the friendly village, and it is. It is a friendly village. The typical scene when I was getting, preparing to go for a camp is that I, I had a lo, very low platform in an industrial building. We called it the youth center. I know I'm not very creative. And I would sit on a stool with a music stand, and students would come in, and they'd give me their payment. They would give me parent permission slips. 
they would ask questions. Parents would drop off students with their sleeping bag, a suitcase. Sometimes that was no more than a trash bag filled with the things that they would need. And, and then I have my, my leaders would take everything, put it in the back of a U-Haul that was pulled by a church van. Oh, it's pr- some of the best days of my life. I'll never forget that when Johnny came in. Now, in our small community, everybody knew that when Johnny was a little boy at the local pool that he had a heart attack. We all heard about the ambulances showing up. We all heard about the CPR. We all, heard, we, all, we all knew about that. And Johnny was in my youth group. Now he's an adolescent. He came in with everything like anybody else. He got off with his friends. They were listening to music. They were talking about camp, what they were going to do to Danny when he fell asleep. All the things that you need to do before you go to camp. I'll never forget as I was at the music stand, I could see the students in the room. I could see students coming and going. I could see things being put into the U-Haul. But as Johnny was over here to my right, I remember watching his dad, John, enter into the youth center. Now, John was a physically, one of the physically strongest men that I've ever known. He was a roofer. He worked out hot days, long days on roofs, carrying the old roofing on, putting new roofing on, back on. He's a very strong man. He's a man of few words. And I'll never forget that he came walking in, he had been working that day, he came walking in and he made a beeline for his son. And when you think about what prayer looks like, he came over to his son, Johnny, and he wrapped his arms around him and he lifted his son off the ground, and I'll, I'll remember this for the rest of my life, he leaned over into his son's ear and he said, son, I love you, do you know that? To which Johnny said, yeah, Dad, I know it. This is probably one of the most sacred scenes I've ever seen in my life. And I believe that that's what prayer is. I believe it is, a, it is probably one of the most profound things that we can experience when God lifts us off of our feet, whispers into our ear, son, my son, my daughter, I love you. And our prayer is simply responding, yeah, Yeah, God, I know that you do. From his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, Tyler Statton writes, prayer is a journey of our heart and mind to find our way to the table of God. Let me read that for you. Prayer is a journey of our heart and mind to find our way to the table of God. I said in my introduction to pray in your own voice. I said in my introduction to never ever compare yourself with somebody else because you are on your own journey. You are on your own path when you pray. I think that Tyler is on to something because prayer resembles, does resemble very much in my life, a journey. You would never know it now, but but it's in growing up the way that I did, it was very, very difficult for me to speak if there were other people in the room, apart from my friends. I could, I could talk to my friends, but, but, but to be in front of a class or, or, or to speak to any, any person in authority was an impossibility for me. I could never make eye contact with people. And so then prayer became something that I grew in over time. Prayer is not, is not something that we theorize Prayer is something that we practice. It's something that we do. You you know, when the theologians talk about prayer being a spiritual discipline, I think I know what it means. 
It's something that you do again and again and again. It's like, it's like the palm of your hand. It fits naturally into your life. My prayer resume, if you will, resembles someone learning to drive a car with this manual transmission. A lot of starts, a lot of st- stops, and a lot of stalls. So then for each of us, I would tell you this evening, pray as you are able. Begin your journey as you are able. Let it be your cadence, your stride. Cover as much territory as you feel comfortable with because I guarantee you that over time, your prayer journey will grow in depth. Also stay in your own lane and fasten your seatbelt. I want to read to you a couple of ideas or thoughts about prayer this evening. And the first and foremost is this, that prayer is a gift. I believe that prayer is a wonderful gift. There have been so many times over, as as I look back on my life, there have been so many times when as I look back, prayer is the only thing that got me through. There were many times as Wanda and I were raising a young family when finances were a challenge. I was in construction up until the age of 31 years of age. There were times when I had no work. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and a psalm would come into my mind. I have been, oh, I've been young and now I am old, which is true in more ways than one. But then listen to the balance of the psalm. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. My friends, when you say that at three o'clock in the morning, it's prayer. It's a different kind of prayer. It's not a church prayer. It's not a growth group prayer. It's a different kind of prayer. Secondly, prayer is the result of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was sent on the day of Pentecost and the Bible revealing God to us. See, prayer is our response to knowing God. I also believe with all of my conviction that prayer is worship. Prayer is also asking God for help. Prayer is communion or intimacy. It is a means of God refreshing our souls. What do I mean by that? It's how you and I are strengthened. So we're going to begin our journey with Paul's words to the church at Rome. This is our first point. And the first point is that we are to be devoted to prayer. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul tells the church at Rome, this is a church that he hadn't visited yet. He, he, had little, he, he had little to do in establishing it, but he desired to go and to be with these believers. He literally wanted to go to the center of the known world to be with this church. And in the latter part of the book, he says these words to him. This is obviously one verse lifted from, lifted from many. But, but for our time together tonight, listen to these words where Paul says, Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And then lastly, be constant in prayer. Your Bible may read, Be faithful in prayer. Or steadfastly in prayer. The idea being that followers of Jesus are to, be ded- are to be dedicated, even appointed to praying. Paul is telling us to make prayer a way of life. Allow it to be a response to need, to be sure, but also an expression of thanks. Remember that I told you a couple of minutes ago that prayer is to be our worship.
The context of Paul's words is to how the church can practically love one another when we pray for each other. You know, at the conclusion of my Bible study tonight, I'm going I'm to share with you some of the prayer ministries that are taking place in our church. And I began by thanking you for praying for the staff and for the church and the pastors. But prayer really is an expression of how we love each other, how we care for each other. Be faithful, he says, in prayer. I was thinking about the uh, devastating earthquake that recently took, par- took, took place in the countries of Turkey and Syria. And I thought about Paul's words of being constant in prayer. It might look like praying for these situations to be sure. I believe that that when we hear of these tragedies or these situations or maybe even injustice that from time to time we feel something stir within us. It's like we want to do something, we want to say something and, and I believe that that might be a stirring of the Holy Spirit to pray. Some of you might think, but Danny, is there something practical that we could do? I believe that there is. I believe that you can pray as well as maybe give financial support to a, to a relief agency that would be working with those on the ground. I believe that they go together. Being constant in prayer means that we also give thanks for God's generous provision. I want you to stop and think that we are to be thankful for our salvation. We're to be thankful for the salvation of others. John Piper said, devoted to prayer will mean that you come to God often desperate and often delighted. I was reading a story about 19th century evangelists. You know the name D.L. Moody. He was known for his ministry as having prayer central He became a Christian at the age of 17. Part of his story is that his mother raised he and his siblings, that life was difficult, but he learned to pray, and he learned to pray young. One of the stories about D.L. Moody is that he would carry a list of 100 names in his pocket, and that whenever he had opportunity, that he would pray for those names. It's interesting that by the time that he died, 96, 96 of those people had given their lives to Christ 96 out of 100. That's 96%. That's pretty good. But the story gets better. Because at his funeral, the remaining four people gave their lives to Christ. D.L. Moody was batting 100%. Prayer, my friends, is our response to the need we see around us. Our next point, we turn to a passage that reminds us the church, the early church, depended upon prayer. And I believe that we do to this day. In Acts 4.31, we read, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to spread the word of God with boldness. The church was dependent upon prayer. When we read this passage, I want you to know that they had not yet experienced opposition or persecution on any level. But as the church was growing, as, as people were, were, were giving their lives to follow Jesus, making him their, allowing him to be their Messiah, they did experience opposition. But I want you to see something that's vibrant. I want you to see something that's powerful, even exciting. Verse 
For you see, the coming of the Holy Spirit into an individual's life infuses power into ordinary people. That's the story of the church. Ordinary people being filled with the power and the Spirit of God. The first church was not a a church of spiritual superheroes or celebrities. The church now was no longer 120 people gathered together praying in an upper room. No, it's now no less than 3,000 people scattered out through Jerusalem in the known world. It's interesting to note that the very same religious leaders that opposed Jesus now persecute his church. Threatened, listen to these words, threatened. The church didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for confidence. They prayed for an assurance. Their great concern was that the fear of man might deter them from proclaiming the gospel. The early church didn't pray for persecution to end, which I believe would have been a reasonable request. They asked God for courage to speak God's word, resulting in the salvation of the lost. They wanted to be able to speak the truth in spite of outward opposition. Now let me tap the brakes here. A little bit of wisdom. We are to speak the truth, right? That is what we're supposed to do. We are are to do so in love. I love the saying that says it's possible to say the right thing the wrong way. And I believe the Spirit will give us wisdom. Marshall Siegel, in an article about prayer, says, let your prayers strengthen someone else's hope and let their prayers strengthen yours. Share hope through prayer. Please notice with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, that some of those who were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost are here filled again. This is a subsequent filling. I believe theologically that I can become born again and the Spirit comes and resides within me. He gives me spiritual life. I believe that I can have an experience where the Holy Spirit comes upon me. That is that he empowers me for ministry. This is something that I believe had already happened at this point in the lives of the apostles and the disciples. And here we see them filled again. But think about this. They pray for God's power to face the intimidation of the Sanhedrin. God's answer is his presence, the shaking of the building in which they were gathered. His answer is also power. Some might say, you know, Danny, I think they got more of God. I'm not going to argue with that. But I believe God, God also got more of them. It was a couple of, it was last year. I was going to say it was a couple of years ago, but, you know, I'm 67 now. So it was a Sunday afternoon. My wife Wanda and I heard that there was a, a replica of the tabernacle at a church over in Oceanside. It's the weeks coming up to Easter. And so, you know, we, we arrive there and we wait and finally they give us these little uh, headpieces and, and the interesting thing is that you would start at station one and then they would blow the shofar. This is in your ear. It's not someplace else. You'd, you'd be there. You'd be learning about what's going on here. And then you'd move on to station two. And there we go again. You go to the next station. And I'll never forget it. As we came to the tabernacle itself, We entered in from the east, and there are these, the outward court of the tabernacle, as they open or pull back the the, the screen, the 
First thing I saw was the altar, and there was a fire. There was a fire going on in the altar. And they were taking little pieces of meat, and they were, I mean, it was like carne asada. It was like when, you know, Juana does on Sunday morning, and Juana does the taco thing out here. But this is, this is what struck me. I'm standing looking at the altar where the sacrifice was offered, but if you look past the altar, beyond the flames, beyond where the sacrifice is offered, you see the outward door to the holy place, embroidered on the, alt- on, on, the, on the door to the holy place are cherubim. And it took me back to the Garden of Eden. That when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, had they turned around and looked towards the Garden of Eden, they would have seen the cherubim with the flaming sword. Listen, listen. And as we progress our way into the Holy of Holies, again, each, at each step, at each station, learning a little bit more about it, it struck me. The altar, the altar, the cross, is all about me being able to be in the Holy of Holies with my Heavenly Father. That the altar is a place that my sin is dealt with once and for all so that I can move on into the presence of God. Don't go anywhere. I need you. In all my life, I was hung up on my sin, and I never spent time in his presence. Let me get a little more personal with you. I struggled, lifelong struggle with anxiety. It's like a low-grade fever for me. I don't, have it like a, I don't have it as bad as other people. Let me qualify that. But when I started realizing that my time of prayer was literally being in the presence of God, my anxiety began to subside. And the very things, the very sins that I struggle with It seemed that the longer that I was in God's presence, the more time I made time in God's presence, that I spent less time at the altar and more time in the Holy of Holies. I don't know if you can understand what I'm saying. And I began to, my heart began to change and transform. My friends, when we pray, we're in his presence. And when we look at the cross, and rightfully so, Jesus has made a way to be before his throne and experience a transformation of being in God's presence. I want to finish up with our last verse from Psalm 34:18. And this verse reminds us that sometimes God says no to our prayers. Our prayers may not be answered as we hope. It is important to visit Gethsemane from time to time. It's a destination on our prayer journey. Let me read to you from Matthew 26, verse 39, before we get into Psalm 34, where it says, And going a little farther, he fell down on his face and prayed. This is Jesus in Gethsemane. Time with his disciples in the upper room is over. He's he's going to Gethsemane to seek the face of the Father, to be in the Father's presence, if you will. And he cried out, saying, My father, if it, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
in your most difficult time. Hear Jesus' words. Hear the request of a son sifted by the will of the Father. This is prayer. Hear the struggle of prayer. And hear that as it did for Jesus, it will, for you and for me, end in surrender. When we come to the place where we say, not as I will, but as you will. The scene is profound. It provides strength and comfort, reminding us that God joins us in our pain. Let me read to you from Psalm 34, verse 18. Our point is that we are comforted by prayer. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If I were to be honest with you tonight, having been a pastor for a number of years, this is why some people no longer pray. If I've heard this once, I've heard it many times. When people tell me, I prayed and nothing happened. I prayed and I was disappointed. I prayed and it felt like as though though God did not hear me. Let me say that it is normal to be disappointed, even to grieve a no, and no answer to our requests, especially when the no means great loss. But it is equally as important to express our hurt and disappointment to God. The idea or the concept of lament can be a very strange thing to us. Individuals and people from a Western world mindset, seeing things through a different lens than the scriptures. But think about this. Lament is prayer that is uttered in pain. Lament is raw. It lacks a filter. Lament may protest with angry words you feel that are not, you don't feel comfortable with expressing. But hear me clearly on this. For some, lament marks the path to our healing when we suffered loss. It's important for you to know, maybe you already do, I was surprised, that a third of the Psalms are of lament, where David and others cry out to God in their pain And my friends, lament is no less prayer than psalms of joy. C.S. Lewis wrote, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Almost done. David tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted that he saves the crushed in spirit. Jesus is with you in your sadness. He rescues you from your pain by being with you. You know the great psalm the shepherd wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They are a source of strength and healing to me, my friends. When we are brutally honest with God, he hears us and he is with us. Listen, and he will heal us. 
God walks with us. Unfortunately, he is not in a hurry. I can't tell you how many times I prayed and I said, I just want the pain to go away. I just want, tell me the words to say, I just want the pain to go away. But he leads us each step of the way. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.